Hello again, and welcome to Running the Race Podcast, a pastoral perspective on living the Christian life in our day. This podcast is a ministry of First Baptist Church in Gonzales, Louisiana, and to learn more about who we are and what we believe, you can visit our website, www.fbcg.net. There, you can listen to more episodes or check out our pastor's blog, use some of the other really great resources that we have available for folks over at our site. Today's topic is part two of Knowing the Will of God. Our speakers today are Jim Law, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Gonzales, and our minister to students, Alex Ray. In this episode, Brother Jim and Alex continue their discussion about God's will. We begin with a quick recap, and then we review how we can know God's will and walk in wisdom. Then we move on to the specific application of knowing God's will when life is hard, how God disciplines us, and how to process suffering. Hi, I'm Jim Law with Alex Ray. We're here with the Running the Race podcast. Uh, this is episode 16, Knowing God's Will, part two. And I really wanted to, Alex, kind of circle back to this important doctrine found in Scripture and just looking at uh, the whole issue of God's will. What are what are some ways that we broke that down? Yeah, we talked about a number of things last time that we got together. We talked about, you know, why should we even care to begin with? Um, why should we want to know the will of God? And one of the things that we talked about um, is that to be in a relationship with God is to care about what he cares about and to want to know him more deeply and, and in a more profound way. And one of those things is, is wanting to know what his will is. And so we, we discussed uh uh, or alluded to text like Psalm 143, which said, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Uh, Ephesians chapter five, um, Paul says that therefore don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, we um, um, briefly mentioned the idea of praying to know God's will as well. Uh, we think about Paul's prayer uh, to, the, to the Colossians in the first chapter where he said we have, that he hadn't ceased, he hasn't ended. Uh, he, had st- he hadn't stopped praying for those people to know the will of the, uh, the will of God, and so those are some of the um, areas that we touched on uh, last time. I think to the question, why should we care to know the will of God? It, it would be, um, you know, the whole issue of salvation. Um, mm-hmm. That r- really what drives us to that is the, as Jesus said in his high priestly prayer in John seventeen three, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. And so throughout the Bible, we we. We are urged, Romans 12, for instance, to present ourselves to, to God as a living sacrifice mm-hmm. and not be conformed to the world and to discern what is a good and perfect and um, acceptable um, will of God for for our lives. Um, and so we, in looking at the two wills of God, we identified his sovereign will, which we he has not revealed the, the details of that. He has decreed that and eternity past, and all things are going to uh, be completed as he um, has designed it. Mm-hmm. And the secret things belong to the Lord, Deuteronomy 29, 29. I think Ephesians 1, 11 is also in that category. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Right. And so the sovereign will, what was the uh, second? The, the other one we discussed in addition to his sovereign will was also his commanded will. And these were um, things we, we would say that these are command given by God for us uh, to follow. Um, but we often fall short of these things. But it's not something that catches God off guard. Uh, so, for, so, for example, he, he tells us to, to love our wives as Christ loves the church. Yet, you know, I know that I certainly uh, fall, fall short of that. Um, I, I don't. I love my wife as well as I ought to. I want to, of course, but I, I fall short of that. 
Um, and what's interesting about this idea is um, I was recently helped by uh, Millard Erickson in his Christian theology uh, text. He, he, I thought he used a pretty interesting um, uh, phrase or a distinction here what, in, in between the, the idea of the two wills of God. He called it will one and will two. And what he means by will one is he, he said he refers to uh, the wish of God, this idea that, that God generally intends things to happen. So, for example, God intends that we don't murder each other. So that's part of this command, commanded will of God, that God has commanded us not to do that. Uh, however, it was God's will in the second sense that the, the sinless Son of God would be murdered. And so there's a, there's a wish and also the uh, will. So he's using the distinction between the two. And, and what he also says is how when it comes to God's wish in the will one sense of it, uh, that when you talk about how God allows bad things to happen, and we'll talk more about that uh, in a few moments, but when he, when he talks about how God allows bad things to happen, he, he uses the story of, you know, imagine you have a mother who tells her son, hey, don't do something. And then that mother goes and and walks away, and then and then the son goes and does it, but doesn't realize that the mother is watching him do this very thing that she said not to do. Well, she chooses not to step in, and and instead lets him do the very thing that she said don't do. And so, in that sense, Erickson suggests that it's the same way with God, that God could have stepped in and, pre- and prevented X, Y, Z from happening, just like the mother could have stepped in and prevented the son from doing X, Y, Z, whatever it happens to be. Um, the the mother doesn't do it. Uh, God allows it to happen, but it's still under his control. Sure. And, you know, I want to explore that even more in our last segment that we want to give the lion's share of our time to, and that is um, God's will when life is hard. Right. And so when we look at the, his sovereign will and his commanded will, his, God's sovereignty really relieves us, uh, Alex, from anxiety, mm-hmm. and it frees us uh, from explanation if we're truly trusting that God's in charge of it all. Right. And it guides us to really um, to walk humbly in the paths of righteousness. Um, and to, you know, his commanded will... Uh, helps us with the decisions that come on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. They keep us uh, in the paths of righteousness for his namesake, that I'm not um, drifting off to things that he has clearly forbidden. Right. And um, to embrace that. Now, how do we know what God's will is? That was a uh, something I think we need to look at as well. I was reading this morning in my in my Bible reading Judges 6, which is the story of Gideon and God wanting to deliver Israel from the Midianites mm-hmm. as they, you know, the cycle and judges where they fall into sin, they call out to God for deliverance. God raises up a judge, the judge delivers them. And after time, they go back into that same cycle again. Well, this was a time where they had called out to God and God in his mercy had responded. And he raised up a kind of a reluctant uh, judge or deliverer is really a better way to understand that in Gideon. And Gideon said to God, you know, God made it clear that he was going to deliver um, the Midianites into his hands, and he just wasn't quite sure. And we we, we read that section in Judges 6 uh, of the fleece. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think it's important maybe to note that discerning God's will, beware of the the lucky dips or the, you know, the, the... you know, the superstitious games, uh, the fleece was not something we're to follow. You know, we'll hear people say that from time to time. Mm-hmm. I put out a fleece, which is nowhere commanded in the New Testament or even held up as an example of the way to uh, to 
to know God's will or direction for your life. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, <laughs> that should have been enough. Right. <laughs> uh, behold, I'm laying a, a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I'll know. And so in the morning, um, it was so. And so he squeezed the fleece and he wrung out enough dew to fill a bowl with water. That ought to, should have been a statement. But should he, have. But he goes on and he says um, to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. And then he uh, set up an opposite scenario. But Please let it be dry on the fleece. And on the ground, may there be dew. And that night, God did that. So that's not held up as an example for us to follow. That really just highlights God's patience and mm-hmm. mercy and grace uh, to his people. Right. And, I, and another reason why I appreciate um, that passage is because I think it it emphasizes the fact that all throughout the Bible, it doesn't really ever gloss over the mistakes of the people that we read, um, mm-hmm. that these were normal men and women. Um, yes, they certainly lived quite a long time ago, but things haven't really changed. I mean, we, we still do this, the same thing to some degree. Um, we, we, we know what God called us to do, and yet in, in some way, shape, or form, we start to bargain to kind of, or, or maybe talk, you know, get a little um, odd with it, just like, uh, just like Gideon did. So I, I, time change for people don't. And so we, we do the same thing, I think, in, in different ways. We do the same thing that Gideon, that Gideon well, did. Well, you know, I think there's probably a difference between Gideon's approach, which I think was just um, a weak faith, maybe, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't like fleeces. Uh, you know, I'm warned by that passage, not encouraged by that passage to right. follow that example. But I go back to Romans 12, too, where it says that we're to discern, to test, mm-hmm. to, um, to, to, to examine um, in our process of God's will. So you, you, you brought something up there, Alex, that I think is important. And that is we are analyzing things. We are viewing the world around us, circumstances, uh, conversations right. um, um, that are important to try to um, make good decisions. But I, I think going back to, you know, if we're talking in the family of God, how do I, how do I walk in God's will? Mm-hmm. I, I would want to try to demystify that in a sense to where this isn't, a call for you to figure out God's sovereign will of how he's going to work, you know, on uh, and bringing things to an end, but really working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right. uh, And obedience uh, to him. Right. And, and so, so the question then becomes, you know, how to, how did that look like on a day-to-day basis? And we talked a lot about, we talked about that at length in our, in our last installment um, that we, that, that, First of all, we can't know God's will at all apart from him first um, redeeming us, that, that this was a top-down uh, effort, that he's the one that initiated salvation and not us. And so apart from his work in our lives, we have no hope at all. Um, but then we also talked about you know, the counsel of the word, the counsel of the body, that there's opportunities that come up in our lives, all the number of different areas where we can say, okay, um, that these things are going on. We have these things, we have these resources at hand as well. And we can know the the general area, how we can live and move because of those things. Right. You know, I, I was talking to a young man yesterday. He's facing a huge decision in his life. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got to make it in the next week or so. And just talking about, um, you know, how do I, how, you know, how, how does he make this decision? It's going to affect, um, you know, so many things. Right. It's a big decision in his life. 
and uh, where, where to go to school. And, um, and so just, uh, you know, this conversation I think was, was helpful in, in our conversation yesterday, you know, am I in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. Am I, am I being led by the spirit? Mm-hmm. Am I filled with the spirit as we're commanded in Ephesians five eighteen? Am I um, submissive to, to, to God's, um, uh, word? Mm-hmm. Um, am I, have I embraced the trials that come in the Christian life? And am I loving the Lord first and foremost? If those things are in order, then I, I'm looking at other things and getting counsel to be able to discern the benefits and the advantages with the decision. And then in confidence need to make them. I think our desire, uh, I think our desires are important with that as well. What, what do you right. have a passion to do? Right. You know, what do you, um, um, what's pulling on your heart in this situation and then to make the decision in faith and trust the Lord with the, with, with the outcome. Right. And, and I think those kind of questions that you just ask are applicable on a regular basis. We should be asking ourselves those, those kinds of questions. Am I walking with God? Not just when I'm faced, not only when I'm faced with this decision, but on a regular basis. It, it is, is that the natural rhythm of my life? It to, be, it to be walking with the God who I say love, uh, that I love, and who I know loves me. And so that, that should be the, the air that we breathe, I think. So, uh, you know, what, what I see in this, this part of, of trying to discern God's will is not a, uh, it should not lead to paralysis. It should lead to freedom. Right. That God is with me. He is over the decisions I make. Um, he has promised to hear me when I cry out to him. Um, that should instill a, a confidence uh, in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And let's say you make a decision. Um, let's see, with something maybe not as important, uh, like the purchase of a vehicle. Mm-hmm. You know, and you pray, and you get somebody who understands cars to look at it, and uh, you, you've gone through the due diligence and everything, and um, your finances are in order. This is a, a, a responsible decision. Mm-hmm. And you want the car? You buy the car. Right. Well, what if you drive it for a month and the transmission breaks? You know, that's how, how people are trying to, you know, process that. Right. Did I miss something? I think that's a fair question to ask. Sure. But I, it's not to the point of paralysis. Maybe God knows you needed a trial. Mm-hmm. And that he's going to do something even in this challenge of your faith. Right. Which is leads us really to our last section. Right. You know, uh, God's will when life is hard. Um, even more so than a broken car, a broken life. Mm-hmm. A couple books that have really ministered to me lately, Alex, um, actually Jerry Bridges' book, Trusting God when, when, Even When Life Hurts, that, that's been uh, some years ago I read that, but I'm so appreciative of how he looks at, at God's will concerning the different um, uh, trials in mm-hmm. this world um, from interpersonal you know, struggles to nature, mm-hmm. you know, I think of the tsunami in 2004, 200,000 people died. Um, and then Mark Vrogop, uh, this book is really ministered to our body. Um, some in our body, uh, dark clouds, deep mercy, the discovering the grace of lament. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, just, uh, discerning God's will when suffering comes. And, and that's such a, um, I would say timely and with 
with all that's going on with COVID-19 in mind, but also to, just um, that, that day, a big question is how, what do we do, how do we understand suffering? How do we process suffering? That's a question that, that really everybody, I think, has to provide an answer to, no matter uh, where you are in uh, your understanding uh, of God or your, under, uh, your understanding of just the world at large. But um, I, I, I'm reminded um, when it comes to our, uh, a Christian understanding of, of suffering, uh, the Bible speaks, of course, at length about this. Um, and, and again, this is taken under the, under the, the umbrella of uh, God being in control of all things, that he is sovereign over all things. And so with that, um, with that in mind, you know, we, we read of truth, like in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, where it says that the Lord disciplined the ones that he loved and he chastised every son whom he received. And so we see that under the umbrella of so- God's sovereignty, that he disciplines, uh, that it would be, he would be a bad father if he did not discipline his children, just like I would be a bad father if I did not uh, correct my son when he needed to be corrected. Um, and so why would we expect anything less of God? Now, the, now the problem, though, is that we don't know how things are. Like, it's hard. To, it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to actually live that when you're in the middle of the, of the suffering. Right. And so I think that that text in Hebrews 12, 4 through uh, 11 or 12, um, where he references uh, the Proverbs, um, uh, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines as a son. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just looking at God moving in our lives in ways to fashion us. And we know from Romans 8 that that's his eternal project is to fashion us and conform us into the image of his son. And uh, I I think this is a a hard look, uh, an important look at a hard aspect of the Christian life, that there is suffering. And Mm -hmm. Jesus promised it. It really is the unpopular promise of the Bible that you don't hear on the faith um, and prosperity channel. Right. Um, Paul said, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's one Mm -hmm. form of suffering. But looking at God's discipline, um, uh, I just kind of want to lay out three things. One would be, uh, I see in scripture that God brings correction Mm -hmm. in our life. Mm -hmm. An example of that would be King David in 2 Samuel 24, where he takes the census. And, um, you know, it was a time of... um, prosperity and his reign. Mm -hmm. And he orders Joab, who was hardly a bastion of integrity, to, as far as Dan to Beersheba, number uh, the the Israel. Mm -hmm. He wanted a census done. And Joab even balks. He said, oh, we shouldn't do that. And so behind that request seems to be, I'm wanting to look at what we really have rather than trusting in the Lord to provide for Israel. And so God brings um, a pestilence for three days. He was given a choice. David, David was giving a cho- given a choice of his discipline. Um, and he said, I just fall in the hands of the Lord, your mercy. And so three, day, three days of pestilence that brought great ruin mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. a discipline for David's presumption uh, as, as leader of that nation. And, and the wrong motives for, for taking the census to begin with. Yeah, I think in addition to the, the idea of this corrective discipline, we also uh, might note that there's preventative mm. uh, discipline as well. Yeah. And uh, you might think of uh, maybe Paul in Second Corinthians 12. We talked about the thorn in the flesh. Right. Uh, he, he, at this point, he's speaking of himself in the third person, and he's talking about um, that he received all these visions um, from God, and, and basically God said, well, hold on now, I'm going to, I want to make sure you don't get too big headed 
and too puffed up. And so I'm going to give you this thorn and a flesh. And of course, there's a lot of discussion on what that might could be. Uh, I, I thought maybe there's a possibility it could maybe it's something like maybe he's got bad eyesight. Because mm-hmm. in Galatians chapter four, he references the Galatians being willing to give him their own eyes. So maybe he's making some sort of point there. Right. Uh, it, it's speculation, of course. I, I don't know. I think a, I think a strong argument can be made that the thorn in the flesh was um, uh, opposition in the Corinthian church, where, okay. where he, you know, he had such a painful relationship with them, and um, and they're, you know, he's sowing good seed, and he's got these false teachers coming behind, and they're ripping up the road behind him and causing great problems. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine, you know, as he's calling out to the Lord, Lord, if you could, if you would just reveal, remove this rather, if you would remove it, I could serve you so much, you know. So much better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In Paul's mind. Right. And, and, and the, the answer is um, incredible. In second Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you. Mm-hmm. Imagine three times, Lord, please remove it. No, please remove it. No, please remove it. No, mm-hmm. my grace is sufficient for you. Right. Yeah. That's when life is hard. Who am I going to trust? Right. What am I going to mount arguments and become bitter? You know, uh, that's, um, that's sobering that God puts things in our life to keep us from exalting ourselves. Are we willing to accept that? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I think another one we might, might say as well, we, we talked about corrective, talked about preventative, maybe a third one might be educational. <laughs> and um, um, that might, we might find something like that in Job 42. Boy, that's quite an education. When you, <laughs> when you read Job, that's quite an education. Yeah. Yeah. So, so at the end of, at the end of Job, uh, and all this discussion and all this talking, um, uh, God responds, uh, to put it mildly. And, uh, and Job, uh, says, you know, I've, I've heard of you, uh, with my ears, but now I've seen you with my eyes. And I was thinking about that text and I was thinking, you know, it's one thing to have a mental, uh, like a basic intellectual understanding of something. It's, it's quite another for that truth to, to grip your heart and, and for you to live it out. It's one thing for me to talk about um, what marriage is. It's another thing for, for me to, be, for act, to actually be married and to know what that is. Uh, Jonathan Edwards talked about um, the distinction. But he said, you know, one, one can understand the idea that honey is sweet. It's another thing to actually taste it. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe something like that was going on with Job here, where he's saying, I've heard, I've, I've heard about you. I've heard about this. But now I've actually seen it. Seen it, yes. And of course, being taken to the woodshed in the latter chapters, where God says, "You know, were you there when I created the world?" And of course, the answer is no. But I think processing suffering and embracing suffering as a, as the will of God in our life, mm-hmm. um, we shouldn't be surprised by that. Jesus, right. throughout the sermon, on, or excuse me, the uh, upper room, he said in chapter sixteen, "There's going to be a time when they're going to throw you out of the center." Synagogues and kill you, mm-hmm. and think that they're they're doing God a favor. Right. And the and then he closes the chapter by saying, "In the world you're going to have tribulation. Be of good cheer; I've overcome the world." Mm-hmm. And you know, I think Alex, and as we talk about God's will, God's sovereign will, and His commanded will, uh, this is really one of the subjects I wanted to get to before we closed out and moved on to something else, and that is the whole issue of abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who's abused, mistreated, sexually abused. You know, was that the will of God? Uh, you know, how do we how do we answer that? And I think 
uh, sensitive um, nuance of what we've been talking about here is to be able to say no uh, because God's commands were violated. Right. His commanded will was violated, which calls us not to um, uh, to abuse and mistreat people, and certainly any kind of sexual sin is is a breaking of God's commanded will. Right. Ne- nevertheless, God is sovereign over even that, and could have stopped it in a hundred ways, mm-hmm. a thousand ways, could have stopped it, but chose not to do so for a reason that's, uh, I don't know. Right. And I think right here, that brings us to the strongest aspect of the Christian apologetic. And that is that God's son came into this world. Right. And that he uh, suffered. If anybody was truly innocent, um, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And when we look at the, you know, the trail of suffering, he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief even on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And heaven was silent right. as he was the propitiation for our sins. And he finished what needed to be paid, right. that we would be free forever. So that's how the Bible presents these conflicting, the suffering and God's will being accomplished. And I think that that applies um, across the board in a, sin, in a world that is fractured. Mm-hmm. And broken because of sin, it's a groaning creation. Yeah, and I think this this problem um, that we're that we're trying to find some resolve to this idea of suffering. How can we? How can this idea of suffering, which is very apparent in our in our world, how can that coexist with the God who says that He loves us? That's a very real question. And, and when I, when I've talked to people about this over the years, um, they, and they'll still tell me something to the effect of, "Well, because they're suffering, therefore God." Could cannot exist because mm-hmm. if a God did exist, He would have made it not happen. And so, w- one thing I like to do sometimes uh, that um, when these kind of conversations happen is to play the what if game. And, and by that, I mean I don't, I'm not, I don't mean that in a trivial sense. But what I mean is that okay, let, let's imagine that you're right. Let, let's say that yes, because this suffering exists, God doesn't exist either. But what are you left with? And I think that what you're left with is. Well, you're still the suffering. The suffering hasn't gone. It's still there. But I think you're also left with even less hope because there's no actual answer to this. This is just something that happened in this blind, chaotic world that doesn't care about you. You're here by accident. You're here by chance. And because you're here by accident and by chance, there, there is no ultimate purpose to the suffering that you're going through. And for, in my mind, that seemed, I think you're even worse, uh, worse off there. And so I'm reminded of um, something that Tim Keller said, and, and he wrote a book on suffering a couple of years ago that really encouraged me. And, and he said this, he said, only Christianity of all the world's major religions teaches that God came to earth in Jesus Christ and became subject to suffering and death himself. Yes, we don't know the reason God allowed evil and suffering to continue or why it's so random, but now at least we know what the reason is not. It cannot be that he doesn't love us. It cannot be that he doesn't care. He is so committed to our ultimate happiness that he was willing to plunge into the greatest depths of suffering himself. He understands us. He has been there, and he assures us that he has a plan to eventually wipe away every tear. Someone might say, but that's only half an answer to the question why. Yes, but it's the half that we need. Yeah. Boy, that's, that is a, a strong statement for sure. You know, and I think of... Um you know, the whole 
question of why, I think another question is asked in the book of Revelation, and that is how long, O oh Lord? Right. And it's asked by the martyrs who have died for the cause of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. How, how, how long? And the answer is just a little longer. And um, the only way that brings balm, comfort, is uh, to receive it by faith. Um, and, you know, there's a, a contrast uh, as the martyrs cry out, how long, O Lord? And then in Revelation 7, there's a multitude that's so great it can't be numbered, John says, uh, of the, those who have been redeemed. And so we're seeing, we see in the Bible the end of time as God brings all things to completion according to his sovereign will. He will have the last word. How will I be among that number? And that leads us back to real time. What am I going to do with the gospel? What am I going to do with the promises of God? Am I going to rest in them or not? And so... Um, Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city coming, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's not pie-in-the-sky, wishful thinking. That's hope. Mm-hmm. And that is where, in God's sovereign will, he's leading this fallen creation and his redeemed in Christ. Uh, I, I think of a, a hymn, Alex, maybe we could close with it. Uh, when through fiery trials, your pathway shall lie. My grace, all sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine the soul that on Jesus still leans for repose. I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. It's a sweet thing uh, mm-hmm. to seek the will of God and to know that you're feeling God's pleasure as you're seeking to live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Running the Race podcast. To find out more information about our church and ministry or for more episodes, be sure to visit our website www.fbcg.net. If you're listening on iTunes or Google Podcast, a positive review would really help us out a lot. Thanks for doing that. And if you found the podcast to be interesting and helpful, recommending us to a friend or family member that you think would benefit from listening would be a great thing. We look forward to seeing you again next time. Once again, thanks, God bless, and goodbye for now.